Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. Here you'll learn about how to grow your home building, remodeling, or contracting business. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. This podcast has really turned into a movement and community of people who want to grow personally and professionally. Here we bring you some of the best marketing, sales, and business minds in the industry so you can elevate your business. All right, let's dive into the show. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. That's the trifecta of the construction business. We all want that, right? Well, after working and talking with hundreds of builders and remodelers over the past two years, BuildBook has discovered the one common ingredient that determines the success of your construction business, the client experience. Yes, if you drop the ball anywhere in the client experience from the first impression to the final payment, things get super messy super quickly. BuildBook has spent the past several months developing the first-of-its-kind platform that focuses on helping you deliver throughout the client journey the one thing standing between you and achieving the trifecta of construction. It starts with marketing tools to attract the right leads, add in sales tools so you can win the best projects, and finish with project tools that knock your client's socks off. If you're looking for an unfair advantage in your business, this is it. Head on over to buildbook.co now to try it free for yourself. That's buildbook.co. All right, let's get back to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 119 and another edition of Expert Interviews. In this conversation, I sit down with Stephen King and Stephen's really gone from startup to $4 billion in business. He brings a really unique combination of vision, kind of foresight and experience to the small business space. He really is passionate about having them run better, grow faster, and make more money. And he's regarded as one of the accounting industry's top thought leaders. He's currently the president and CEO of GrowthForce, which is one of the nation's largest cloud-based accounting services. And in this conversation, I know I asked a few questions for myself as well as, uh, as you guys, but Stephen is a really sharp guy. And normally when we get into the accounting space, Sometimes I think some of our eyes start to glaze over. This is not one of those. Steven is super passionate. He brings a lot of energy, but he takes a growth approach to accounting and to the numbers and kind of what is behind the numbers and how do we use the numbers to impact profitability. And I think in this conversation, you'll see that Steven brings a ton to this topic, really. There's a lot more depth, a lot more experience. And a lot more meaning, I think, than just, hey, here's your PL, here's you know what's going on. It's what's behind that. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this conversation. I know I did personally, I got a lot out of it. So sit back and relax. Again, this is episode 119 with Stephen King. Hey Stephen, glad to have you on the show today. Hey Spencer, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited for the conversation because uh, I think you're going to bring a wealth of knowledge to some critical business topics, which we'll we'll get into. But uh, I always think it's helpful just to to get a little bit of background, you know, on on your journey into kind of what you're what you're involved with now. Well, I'm I'm unusual. I I started as a accounting clerk for my dad when I was 12. And they put it started Texas, young. <laughs> yeah, you got a Texas instrument calculator, which automated the process of adding up the outstanding checks. So I didn't have to manually do it anymore. And I thought, wow, this is so much easier. 
in, in 1979, I, I worked in a CPA firm as an intern and they put an com- Apple II PC on my desk and a computer junkie was born, right? <laughs> you know, the, the start of, of PCs. So I combined this, you know, passion for small business accounting and technology to help them use accounting to make more money, to increase their profitability. So it's, it's been very rewarding to teach that to others. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's funny, even just that language you just use there, you don't often hear that in accounting. You know, a lot of times when you think of accounting, you just say, oh, it's the numbers. It's I got to do these statements for my CPA and all this stuff. But you said you like to use the numbers to help people make more money. Yeah, I'm a CPA. I've been a CPA 36 years. I've been on the board, executive board of the Houston CPA Society, and I'm proud to be a CPA. But our whole industry was designed for compliance. It was designed to look backwards. In fact, when I was at Ernst & Young, they taught you, you can't audit something in the future, so never prepare a forward-looking statement. <laughs> that's how I grew up. And that's what the industry is designed for external users, right? The traditional income statement is designed for helping businesses be in compliance with the bank, be in compliance with the IRS, be in compliance with an auditor. And... That's financial statement is like the box score of a baseball game, right? It's like mm-hmm. what happened last night and just the basics, who won, who, how many runs, what inning, maybe how many errors and how many hits, right? Yep. <laughs> what I love is the management accounting, which is billy ball. It's money ball, right? It's how do you make decisions on a day-to-day basis to be able to figure out, do I bring in the lefty or the righty? Because the roof is open <laughs> and we're on artificial turf. And it's 77 degrees or higher. In business, it's about understanding what are the decisions that you have to make in order to drive profits. And then what's the drivers of those decisions? And then then only then can you figure out what reports do you want to have at your fingertips? So Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So I like that analogy of, you know, the baseball, you know, and thinking, okay, do I use the lefty righty? Like what kind of turf are we on? Like which field? How does that play out when you're thinking about your business? You know, what are those data points that you're looking at to try to work on profitability? There are three that really matter. Most business owners think they can sell their way to profits. Yeah, I hear that a lot. You know, people say, "Oh, I just want to double my business, and that'll solve everything." (laughs) Yeah, you do. You do lead generation and marketing, right? And you're trying to help people grow their top line, and you need to grow your top line in order to be able to to grow your, your bottom line, but your, your percentage of growth will not change unless, so, so unless you do number two, which is gross profit percentage. To my mind, the most important data point of any business is their gross profit percent. Why? It's why the shark tanks, right? The sharks will always ask you, how much do you sell it for? And then how much does it cost fully landed? They're doing a percentage calculation in their mind. It's like, okay, if you're making a 40% margin on this, then I understand how many units of uh, can I move to see you know, how do we, how we make money on this. And the reason that top-line revenue is not the most important thing and bottom-line net income is the most important thing because gross profit causes pro- net profit. Every additional dollar of gross profit you bring in goes right into the bank account, goes right into the profit line, is assuming that your overhead is not artificially growing. And so that's the first is top line revenue. The second is gross profit percent. And then the third is overhead. 
How much does it cost you to run to have lights on? What's your nut? How do you make that variable as much as possible? Because fixed overhead hurts. And now with COVID and space being a whole different thing, it's so much easier. But the idea of converting whatever you're paying in the back office, your IT costs, your HR costs, your accounting costs, and as much as possible, your sales and marketing costs, make it variable so that if if you hit downturn and revenue goes down, you're not stuck trying to absorb all these fixed costs. That makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it, it caused a lot more more thoughts and questions we can dig into. <laughs> you know, so let's maybe skip to the second point. You know, you said obviously growing top line is important, but that second point you said was almost like your number one gross margin. You know, so for some basics, how do you calculate that? If somebody's running a remodeling business, you know, a lot of our listeners are remodelers or custom builders. What kinds of things are they thinking about to to calculate that number there? This is the one industry I have spent more time working on than anything else in my career because my parents are both off the boat from Ireland, okay? settled in New York, met in the Bronx, got married, had me, and you know, it, and I was the firstborn American in a large extended Irish family. And all my relatives, at least on my mother's side, the Gilrains work work contractors, were carpenters, were electricians. My uncle Eddie spent years putting the ceiling in the World Trade Center. <laughs> you know, when I started my CPA firm after Ernst & Young, I focused on construction business. And it's like any other project-based business. You have to understand the above the line versus your below the line costs. So what is gross profit? The math is your total income minus your cost of goods sold, the cost to deliver on your services. And there's only two parts to it. There's, they're both direct costs, meaning the definition of cost of goods sold is it's the direct costs that you, your customer paid for, directly what the customer is buying. Without that cost, you would not have earned the income. That makes, makes sense? sense. Yeah. So it's going to be materials and, you know, so because you wouldn't have bought the material unless you sold the job. Stuff That's like right. That. There's, there's two types of cost of goods sold. They're both direct, direct labor which is the people that you paid to do the work. And it doesn't matter how you paid them, whether they're subs or their full-time salary or they're paid by the hour, it's labor. And if it's the labor that the customer is, you're billing your customer for, then that goes into direct labor. The other is direct materials, the stuff you had to buy, the sheetrock and the two by fours and, and anything, whatever it is. If you can't serve the customer, it has to go above the line. And what that does, it shows you what does it really cost you to deliver your services? One of the biggest mistakes I see is people, they don't allocate labor costs are your biggest expense, you know, a controllable expense, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a construction company tomorrow, it's 52% of their expenses. So it's the biggest expense they've got. Mm -hmm. And all the payroll is below the line in payroll expenses. Why? Because that's how the accountants set it up, because that's what you need to do for the tax return. You need total payroll expense so it can go on line 37. <laughs> it's about yeah. compliance. Not so helpful from a business perspective. Not though. at all. It's not designed to be. So the, the allocation of the labor is the first step. And you know, there's a couple of tricks here. First is you have to if you're subs, if they're all subs, it's easy, right? They Super just go easy. in, yep. they go into labor, subcontracted labor. You know, you can separate from some salary if you have salary. 
subcontractors are also easy because it's a total amount where a lot of people make a mistake is they just, for the, for the people that are on payroll, they just do the salary and the taxes. And you got to look at the fully loaded labor costs. So if you're covering any health insurance, if you've got recruiting costs, if you've got training costs, or those direct laborers, it goes with them. You know, the most important lesson that I've learned over 36 years is you need the best run companies have a human capital strategy, a people strategy, and a financial management strategy, and they work together. And the biggest hidden cost in a business usually is turnover. So when somebody walks out the door, we're all run by tribal knowledge. Remember, the tribe leaves, so does the knowledge. So yeah, that one stings. <laughs> it's very expensive. And there's no line item on the PL that says cost of turnover. It's just hidden. You can't see it. So if you want to increase profits, one of the biggest things to do is keep your people with you for a really long time. Yeah. I measure employee turnover as the number one metric. Now we do you know, accounting, so knowledge workers are hard to find. But in any business, if you keep a team together for a long time, your margins grow. Recruiting and training new employees is extremely expensive. So one of the reasons why you want to get that recruiting and training cost into that above the line for, the, for your billable people is because now you can see the cost of turnover. All of a sudden, somebody left, my direct labor costs went up, my margins went down. Okay, so now I can see, do I need to invest in onboarding those new people? Or can I, what's the exit interview I need to implement in order to figure out why did they leave and how do I make sure my, my next best person doesn't walk out the door? We got, eight years ago, I became a client of Insperity for the second time. We've been, I'm a, a longtime fan and partner. And, you know, the account, I, as an accountant, I always looked at my people expense, my people, sorry. I looked at my, my payroll and my people as an expense. You know, income minus expense equals profits. And there they were, one big line item on the bottom, payroll expense. And my thought process in, in running co the company was, if I want to increase profits, I need to lower expense. So let me pay as little as I can and let me get the cheapest benefits. And turnover is just the cost of running the business. And when I became that Insperity client, I learned you got to look at your people as an asset. And as an accountant, I understood as you, if you have an asset, you're investing mm -hmm. in that asset, right? It's like a stock. I'm investing in a stock. I want to get a dividend out of it. I want to get a return on investment. By looking at your people as an asset and investing in their training and taking the time to define what are the right kind of people that you need in your company, what's the behaviors that are successful, what are the core values that are successful? If you recruit people right the first time, your turnover goes way down on the back end. <laughs> For sure, yeah. <laughs> and then if you, if you train them, they're going to stay with you for a long time because the single biggest reason why people join a company and the second reason why they leave a company is lack of training, lack of development opportunities. So Interesting, uh, so not pay. The pay is a short-term motivator. The number one reason people leave companies is they join a company and they quit a boss. Mm, people, yeah. people, people quit bad bosses. And I see a lot of businesses get stuck. You know, I got a lot of million-dollar contractors who are trying to get to that 10 million or 10 million are trying to get that at 30 million. It's usually the, the skills of the middle managers. You know, founders of businesses and leadership in business, those the cream rises to the top. People who start their own business have special skills. 
you know, Michael Gerber's ebook really talks about, you know, you, you have three out of the four stools of the business you can have in one person. That's an entrepreneur. Nobody has all four. Usually the accounting in the back office is the weak part, but the ability then to extend that to managers, project managers in particular, and, and have them understand what is success and how do you use your core values to make decisions. That changes everything because all of a sudden people start to say, okay, I like this place. My boss cares about me and I have a career here. So that's like one of the biggest ways that you can measure profitability is by measuring turnover. To me, it's the number one measure that I look at. So then the last part is bottom line is the, is below the line. I mean, your gross profit is your income minus cost of goods sold and your profit is your gross profit minus your overhead. Those are all your below-the-line costs. They're indirect. The customer did not pay for the sales rep or the marketing agency or your office rent and your IT and your accounting and your HR and your lawyers. That's all overhead. So we recommend you try and convert that to variable as much as possible. And one way to do that is leveraging outsourcing, You know, outsourcing your IT role instead of having a person. Unless you have 50 or more people, then you know I, I, I want one person. Those are the only measurements that will help you get to the bottom, drive your bottom line. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I love that you steered the conversation to people, you know, because I think a lot of times, again, when people typically think of these, they think of numbers and they just think, of, oh, okay, I've got to work these different levers. But you boil it down to, yeah, if you can just decrease turnover with your team, you know, you look at the, the cost and your gross margin will go up and bottom line will go up. Are there certain benchmarks that you look for for you know service businesses like the construction space and you know for gross margin and profitability or is it just totally dependent on the specific type of business? It's industry specific, you know, but the math is pretty much the same. You know, the the most important decision every business will make is pricing. And pricing because that's what helps drive margins, right? Sure. Once you know you're, you're above the line costs, you have those labor costs allocated. And, and there's two, if you use QuickBooks, there's two payroll companies that have automated Intuit Payroll for the desktop and for desktop and online in Sperity. They also have a link to QuickBooks, which is you know, why we use them. The math to figure this out is you've got to understand what your overhead costs are and what your target net income is. You start there, right? So let's say you want your your round numbers, you're a million dollar business and you want to make 10% profit. You work backwards from your overhead to see how much does each one of my jobs need to cover that percentage of overhead. Meaning if you've got $300,000 of overhead and you've got a thousand jobs, Every job has to be priced so that your margin's going to cover you're going to cover your above the line cost plus $3,000 per job. If you want to make $150,000 of profits and you have 1,000 a, a jobs, you got to add another $150 on every job to get the 150 grand. It, there's a great book called Profit First. Mm, it, yeah, it, that's it, a great it, one. <laughs> you start with how much money do you want to make? Okay, then how much does it cost me just to have the lights on? Now, I know how much margin I need on every job. And you work backwards from there to figure out your pricing. 
Because if you don't price right, you're not going to make the profit. And you know, a lot of business owners think they can sell their way to profits. What, what matters is not how much you earn, the top line, although it's good for the ego to say, you know, I'm a $6 million uh, home builder or, or, or electrician or whatever, but it's how much you keep. A well-run, to answer your question about metrics, a well-run business is going to be 12 to 15% the bottom line. If you're a market leader, you're going to be 15 to 20%. I got one company right now who's at 12, so they're right at the, you know, the bottom of the well-run companies. But they want to sell in three to five years. So they're trying to get to 17 so they can get percent, but they can get into that highest market exit valuation. Yeah, yeah, get their multiple up. <laughs> exactly. The more time I spend in the marketing business, the more I realize that marketing isn't just about your website, signage, social media, and print collateral. Marketing really sits across every part of your business. It starts with your brand, your signs, your website, but it continues on through the sales process. How you present yourself and your company on a sales call incorporates marketing. And just as importantly, how you deliver your service to your client is marketing. The feelings that they have in the middle and the end of the project are big factors in determining whether they will spread the word about you. At the end of the day, marketing across the entire customer lifecycle is really tough. That's why I love what BuildBook is up to. They've been working hard to bridge those gaps and solve those problems. Their new tools start on the marketing side, continue into the sales conversation, and finish with the project. Get these three elements working together and your business will be humming along. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. If you're aiming for the trifecta of the construction business, head on over to buildbook.co to try it free for yourself. That's buildbook.co. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, and I like that. I mean, it really, the way you break it down, it, starting with the end in mind, you know, and, and you hear that come up in a lot of different other scenarios, but not necessarily in this, because you just go, oh, I got to sell and then I'll kind of see what's left over. And it's like, well, not much is going to be left over if you're just kind of seeing how, it, how right. it shakes out. Yeah. Well, that gives you a strategy for pricing too. I feel like a lot of times people don't have a great strategy behind it, but you're saying, Hey, just start at the bottom, add in the overhead, add in, you know, and then you, you've got price. And so I'm assuming your answer, it would be, Hey, if you have a customer and you've priced it out according to your end goal, you shouldn't discount because otherwise you're just working against yourself. I am so glad you mentioned that. I mean, this is discounting is the single biggest reason why I mean, that, that businesses struggle with cash flow problems, because when you give a discount, 100% of the discount you've given, comes out of your cash flow, comes out of your bank account. It comes out of your net income. So when you're saying, okay, I'm, when you have a 5% or a 6% net income, it's because you're missing that extra 10% on the top line. And to my mind, identify your unique selling proposition. Why are you there? Especially, you know, this company that it's an HVAC company I'm talking to, they're in business 86 years. It's like, guys, you have to pay for that experience. That's the value, <laughs> right? Totally. totally. So now you should be a premium buyer. It, it'll be an interesting conversation. But yeah, the, yeah, the, you're not just paying for an hour of their time. You're paying no, for the, the no. years of experience. And, and, <laughs> and when you invest in your people and you keep your people together for a long time, that's worth a lot. If I know that five years from now, the same team who installed my HVAC system is going to come back, then- that's I'm huge. willing to, yeah. I'm going to pay a lot for that security. So anyway, you know, you mentioned something very powerful, which is start with the end in mind. So 
I was a manager of accounting system design at Ernst & Young, and I, I used their methodology that we used on the Fortune 100, which is what are the decisions you're trying to make? And there's five that we've identified for small businesses. Then what are the drivers of those decisions? And then you figure out what reports do you need? So the first decision is where do you spend your time? Where does management spend your time? And we've created a one-page company scorecard that shows you the five most important drivers of the business. Do you have a top-line problem? And we do trailing 12 months. If listeners take one thing away from this session, TTM is the only way to see the true economic result of anything. Hmm, interesting. What, what it is, is it's, an, it's, a, it's a chart with each dot on the chart is the total for the prior 12 months. So for example, if you've got a revenue chart, on our revenue chart, the right-hand side, it shows you October 2019, what was the total revenue for the year before that? And then each month, it changes. You add another month and it drops off 13 months ago. If the dot goes up, it means that this month was better than month 13. That's gone. So I can see the economic result of the month. How are we doing? And the reason that's so important is because most small businesses, and the construction industry in particular, do not have degreed accountants on staff. You've got really good full-charge bookkeepers who may have the title of controller or accounting manager or finance manager or whatever was necessary to keep Sally in the job because you can't live without Sally. <laughs> so if you want to call yourself controller and it doesn't cost me any more money, of course you are a controller. That nice makes title me look, bump, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes me look big. But what happens is that person can't manage the month-end close. So the books on a monthly basis are kind of cash basis or modified cash basis. So if you have biweekly payroll, twice a year, you have three payrolls. That means twice a year, your biggest expense, more than half, is 50% higher than the other 10 months because you have a third payroll. You didn't hire any more people. You didn't give anybody raises. But a lot of times I see business, they say, oh, they have a loss. Is it what happened here and there? Oh, that's a three payroll month. We always lose money on those months. What basic accounting does is you say, you know, I suggest you switch to semi-monthly, just adding two or three days to a payroll. And then now all of a sudden you got one number on the 50th of the month, you record that last month, you got payroll in the right month. That's big. You Ooh, have to, that's you interesting. have, you have the, yeah. the management accounting is management accounting is about the matching principle. Every month you match the income and the expenses that were incurred to earn that income in that month. And you only need to do two things. You need to get the income right. So at the end of the month, you do accrual that says, okay, how much revenue did we earn? These jobs that are not complete. You know, QuickBooks, you, what's great, you can go into the projects tab and you can turn on and say active project or inactive project. And then what all the, the bookkeeper just goes and says, whatever the active projects are, dump that into Excel, send it out to the field. What percentage complete are you on that job? I'm going to recognize revenue as the percentage of complete for this month, even though we're not going to bill it next month but our people earned that income. So we do a reversing entry to recognize 80% of it in this month. And then on the first of next month, it'll make reverse it out. It'll make it negative 80 next month. So that when I send the bill out for a hundred, I'm only recognizing 20,000 next month when we finish the job. 
If you do those two things, you get payroll right in the right period, and you recognize revenue when it's earned, now you can look at a PL each month and see it. If you don't do these things, trailing 12 months will smooth out all those errors. It'll average out over two years that those three-month payrolls, three payrolls a month, it's a two-year trend. So it tells you really what's going on. So revenue is where most people start. What we look at is the, the next row is the gross profit dollars and the gross profit percent. So those are your drivers number two and three. And you're looking there to see is your whatever's changing in your revenue, if your revenue is going up, are you maintaining your gross profit percentage? Because mm. a lot of times businesses grow. You know, you're probably experiencing in your business, right? It's booming. So as you start adding people, your margins start to erode. And you got to watch that. And then the third is the bottom line is the net income dollars and net income percentage. If you watch those five things, it tells you where do you spend your time? Do I have a top line problem? Do I have an above the line problem? Or do I have a below the line problem? I often see companies that are growing their top line, their revenue, they're growing their margins, and then they're, but their net income is going the opposite way. Why? Because they're investing in sales and marketing and it's not working. Their overhead, their below the line costs are not generating an ROI. So that's a powerful thing to be able to separate out the trend of your gross profit from your net income, because that, that's how you get visibility into the performance of that, those below the line costs. Yeah, that's great. That I've never heard a couple of things in there. The trailing twelve months as just a different. You know, you just typically get into a rhythm. You look at two thousand nineteen, two thousand twenty. You know, you just kind of look at that. You know, annual snapshot. And then we do payroll weekly. And so for us, there's four months out of the year where there's a five week payroll month. You know, <laughs> so just right. like you're describing. So yeah. weekly, weekly is not bad because if yeah. you do it weekly, what, what I would suggest though is. When the bookkeeper is recording the, that weekly payroll at the end of the month, just have her break it into two parts. First three days is this month. The next mm. two days is last month. So once a month, Good she point. just has to make one simple adjustment. Biweekly is where you have a problem because it's just every, every yeah. other week just causes accounting Challenges. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Well, I've got a good action item out of this too for myself. <laughs> so <laughs> Steve, I know we're, we're getting a little close to time, but I know you wanted to share a couple of things on cash flow too, you know, as we get here to the end. Yeah. I just know what, you know, we're seeing our clients are dealing with right now and cash is king. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first way to increase cash flow is, is to get pricing right. Because Cash flow comes from margins. The reason why gross profit percentage is the most important number on the spreadsheet is because that's what creates the cash to cover your overhead. And if you, if you generate enough to give you that free cash flow, whether it's you know, good times or in bad, the best practices around cash flow is just about managing the timing, when money flows in and when it flows out. And the first way to do that is with a cash flow forecast. And, and we've got a cash flow forecast tool yeah, we can put that in the show notes if you yeah, uh, send I'm that making, my way. I'm making a note right there to, to cool. give that away. And what it does is it allows you to be able to take your QuickBooks receivables and dump them into Excel and then suck it into this template, that Excel template that allows you then just to have to enter what week do you expect to collect on all those balances? Week one through 13. You don't have to type in all the customer names and it shows you the aging, what month it was, what month it's due and all the summary information right out of an HDR. But now you can forecast when do you expect to collect on that? And we recommend 13-week cash flow because you need that much time to see if you have a problem. 
Then you do the same thing with your payables. You take your aged accounts payable report, dump it into Excel, suck it into the template and write down one through 13, when are you going to pay those bills? And it brings that onto a summary sources and uses of cash flow. And then you can add anything else that you want, like stuff that's not in receivables. You're going to you're going to get a, a big deposit check from a customer. You're going to get a loan from the bank, you know, anything else that might be a source of funds. And then the same thing at the bottom, you, you add anything that's not an accounts payable, any other uses of funds like your rent, or you got to pay down a credit card. And then you can see real easy how, to, how much cash you've got. Once you know that, then the second step is to focus on collections. And there's some basic best practices around collections that I think is helpful for people to know. You want to be firm, focused, and friendly. Three Fs of collections. <laughs> yeah. And, and what, what firm means is you want to get a payment date or a next call date. No matter what, you don't get off the phone. It's like, okay, you owe us money. I need to know when, when we're going to be able to talk about getting the second half. So how's Monday at three? No, I'm not going away. You owe us money and we're not a bank. Second is you want to be friendly because you get more from honey than you do with well, whatever it is, vinegar. Yeah, vinegar. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the focus, the focus is really the key. You have to be train the people who are making the phone calls. And you know, it's usually the receptionist or the office manager or somebody who does not want to do it. Therefore, it usually doesn't get done until it's urgent. But you have to make sure that they are trained to overcome objections, just like a salesperson. You know, before the customer gives you an objection, you know how to overcome it. The first is the check is in the mail, right? I mailed it. Yep. I just sent it out this morning. Okay, great. QuickBooks payment solutions has the ability to make a deposit without the actual check, just the check info. So you can go enter the check number and the date and the amount and the customer's bank account information and you'll be able to make an ACH debit. So even if you don't sign up for that service, ask them, okay, great. I want to just you know, put it in my records. Please give me the check number, the amount, the data, and make sure you make them at least go through the exercise of lying to you. <laughs> but usually what happens is when they, when they have to go get a check number, they might as well pull the checkbook out and write the damn check. Yeah, no, I like that. That's a great strategy. <laughs> the second objection is I can pay you half. I'll give you a half now. I, you know, I got a little bit of cash flow problems. It's like, okay, no problem. This is the time if you have customers who are struggling, and they shouldn't be because this industry is on fire, then now is a good time to take credit cards. And Intuit Payment Solutions has this, and we don't get paid anything for recommending these guys. It's just magic to automate the billing, the collection, and the actual bookkeeping to apply the payment against the outstanding accounts receivable. Customer gets an email that says, pay now. You enter in your credit, they enter in their credit card number. It goes and gets settled through Intuit Merchant Services. 48 hours, you get an email set with, a, with a, an, an attachment showing you what your payments were. When you open the attachment, it updates your QuickBooks desktop. If you're on QuickBooks Online, it'll automatically update. So it knows if your customer has paid you. And if your customer hasn't paid you, it knows to send a reminder email as often as you want. So we set them up for Sundays. <laughs> Sundays is a magic day in collections. I got to be an Inc. 500 conference featured speaker for a couple of years. And to do that gig, I, I did a survey of the Fortune 1000 companies 
best practices in cash flow. And I learned a couple of really cool things. Number one is invoices that get sent on the weekends get, get paid a full 10 days earlier than invoices that go out on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. That's crazy. Interesting. Why? <laughs> Why? I, I looked into it. I read it. Because the person who's paying the bills thinks, oh, they did this on the weekend. They must be serious about getting paid. I'll respect them and I will take care of this right now. <laughs> That's interesting. Fascinating, yeah. right? Psychology is so, so interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes. What it's also nice though, is that because the payment into a payment services is linked to your QuickBooks file, it knows if your customer hasn't paid you and you can get progressively more aggressive. I like a tool called Funding Gates. Only works with QuickBooks Online. It's an accounts receivable portal that helps you manage your receivables and give you alerts to say, hey, we've sent four emails, we've made three phone calls, and this person hasn't responded. And now as you as the CEO or business owner, you need to focus on these six customers. That's, that's, that's great. pretty powerful. Yeah. Funding yeah. is awesome. The last one is we can't pay anyone right now. We're really stuck. This is when you definitely want to use the credit card because you want to shift the risk to MasterCard and Visa of non-collection. You know, mm-hmm. that, that insurance is gold. So you should open up the credit card and make sure if somebody's really struggling, pay the three and a, two and a half to three and a half percent. It's much, much cheaper than paying staff to chase them down and obviously a default. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. The other big thing we're suggesting clients do now is you got to not let your client's cash flow problems become your cash flow problem. So it means making sure that your, your contracts, that you update the credit policy. And you want to make sure that the payment terms are really clear. When is this due? And you, what we suggest is you include who's the person paying the bills and when do they pay those bills so that we get an agreement about when you will have payment by. You want to do that before you start any work when they love you because then you have an ability to go, to go after them. You want to make sure that late fees are really clear. Say, what are they? And when do they start accruing? We recommend you should be. 18% interest rate right now. What that is, is it's one and a half percent per month. So 18% a year. And if somebody's late, you immediately add that late fee. Why? Because it gets you to the top of the pile. A good controller is managing cash flow and they're looking at their bills and they're looking at the interest rates. Their bank expensive debt gets paid right after the credit card gets paid. And then, you know, they're managing the cash flow to the stuff that doesn't have any late fees. I'm going to put that to the last because at least I'm not digging a deeper hole because interest rates will kill you. That's one of the ways that you don't let your clients' cash flow problems become your cash flow problems. And then if you can't get paid, you want to make sure that your credit policy and your contract spell out who will pay the attorney fees. Mm-hmm. So if it's you have really to go to important. court, yeah, yep. you'll get it. So. Those yeah. are kind of my best practices on the collection side. The bill payment is one, one big one, which is bill.com. You know, I've been doing outsourced bookkeeping, accounting, and controller services for you companies that use QuickBooks, Xero, NetSuite since, you know, 1995. And we used to do things manually when, you know, Netscape 1.0 came out and the bill.com helps you automate the entire bill payment process. So you can pay your bills on your phone and manage workflows that let you manage your cash flow. 
you can, you know, ACH payment anybody and pay them 48 hours before they need to have the cash in their bank. So you can pay as late as possible. It reduced the cost of us processing bill payments for our clients from $12.50 to $1.58. And you have a scanned image attached. You know, we caught a, a bookkeeper, you know, desperate times create desperate people and high unemployment is not good for for small businesses, because fraud for us is much higher than big business, much higher because we don't have separation of duties. There's nobody watching the bank account. And there's the bill.com helps you reduce that risk because you can see a scanned image of every bill. We had one poor mom whose husband lost his job. The kids were streaming Tiger Kings on their iPads and they didn't have an unlimited data plan. She submitted a $655 AT&T bill along with the company's AT&T bill. And normally the business owner would have just seen two different checks at the different times of the month and not realized that he paid it twice. And he could see the invoice was not his. So we're a big fan of bill.com. I've got a, I've got a, a good blog on that on, on our growthforce.com website. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're, we're running out of time here. I do have one last segment of the show for us, but Stephen, this has been really insightful, good stuff. I think kind of a fresh take on some of the numbers that you often get. If people want to learn more about you and your company and how you guys help, what's a good way to get in touch or, or learn more? Growthforce.com is our website, G-R-O-W-T-H, force.com. And we've got a blog there and I've got a podcast. Um, you can email me any questions at Stephen with P-H-S-T-E-P-H-E-N at growthforce.com or I'm on social as Stephen King CPA. LinkedIn is, uh, we've, we're pretty active there. So you can ask questions as well. Stephen PH King CPA. Cool. Yeah. And for everybody listening, we'll drop all those in the show notes, make it easy for you guys to get over to Stephen and Growth Force and definitely recommend you checking them out and seeing what they're up to. Stephen, I got uh, a few more questions for you. This is called the Fast Five. So I'm going to hit you with five rapid fire questions. Just say whatever comes to mind. First question is, what's your favorite business book and why? Oh, uh, E-Myth, Michael Gerber. Uh, he said that every business, uh, every there's a myth in America that if you start a business, you will be rich. <laughs> yeah, and, for sure. And, and to me, that was one of the most painful lessons I had when I had my CPA firm in the 80s, that how many business owners, especially in the construction industry, struggle. They don't live that dream. They don't have 12 to 15 or 20% profit. They have cash flow problems in 6 to 8% because they only have 6 to 8% margins. And what he said was, there's four legs to the stool, product, sales, service, and back office. Do the three that you're really good at and outsource the last one. Don't worry about it. Find the best in the business and be that. And that's when we started Growth Force. I read that book. I was like, okay, that's what Growth Force is going to be, that fourth leg of the stool. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Next question is, who is the most inspirational person in your life? Alive or dead? <laughs> uh, your choice. Yeah, your choice. Um, the most inspirational person. I have to say, I think right now it's probably Jack Healy from Amnesty International. I was the CFO of Amnesty International two weeks after Bruce Springsteen and U2 and Peter Gabriel finished the Human Rights Now Tour. And Amnesty grew from $6 million to $18 million, and I had to handle all the money. So <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about Jack now because we do 35% of our business is nonprofits. We apply the same principles except to fundraising. 
You know, how much does it cost to put a kid on a bus to their vocational training? That's what the donor gets. I was the director of development and CFO of Amnesty, so I know a lot about that. So Jack Very Healy, cool. I'd have to say Jack. That's hey, awesome. Jack. That's awesome. <laughs> if you're listening, hey, Jack. <laughs> uh, if you could have one superpower, what would that be? Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm in an office that's filled with a lot of geeks. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of spidey sense going on in our business. Nice. <laughs> um, I would say my superpower would be to not have to sleep so I could keep working because I love what I do so much. I have to force myself to go do my garden, you know, be with my <laughs> friends and wife. Kids. That's awesome. Well, I can I can definitely tell just your your energy uh, through this discussion. So that's that's cool. All right, describe yourself in three words: fun, happy, loving. All right. Final question: If you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? Uh, you need both a human capital strategy and a financial management strategy to to run better, grow faster, and make more money. It's people that drive profits, whether they're subs or staff. And you have to see the profitability on the people in order to, and, and have the ability to create a culture that drives more productivity and more discretionary effort and all the tricks that come around with goal setting and alignment of all that and rewards and recognition. I would say you got to do both. And, and that's why I love our partnership with Insperity because they, they do the HR side and you know we do the financial management side. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Stephen, I really appreciate you spending the time with me. This was great. And I know I've got a few action items that I pulled out of it for myself (laughs) as well. So (laughs) thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, buddy. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And as a quick reminder, text radio to 33777 for some free goodies as a thank you for listening to the show. And if you got some value from today's episode, I just ask that you leave us a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and grow this awesome community of people who are working to improve their lives and their businesses. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.